Welcome to the Alberta Wedding Podcast, a platform for Alberta wedding professionals and couples to connect, learn, and share ideas. I'm your host, wedding videographer Kevin Marr. With over 100 weddings behind me, I'm your guide to all things weddings in this great province of ours. Well, I don't know about you, but I do love when I get to bring on really, really cool people on the podcast here. And this next guest I have here on the podcast is someone that is, she, she's just cool. Like, just really, really cool. And I've got to know her on a personal level, obviously on a business level too, because we've worked together on a number of different things. I've got Danielle here with uh, the Bottled Bronco. Danielle, how's it going? Thank you. I'm a little nervous now. That was a pretty high bar you just set for me, but thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, like we've known each other for a few years, well, since pre-COVID. And as I mentioned uh, just before, we've done some style shoots together. Uh, we've done some weddings together. And we've kind of like grown our businesses at the same time, you know, parallel with each other. And I think that's really cool to see. We we both have seen our ups and downs. And and we were just talking just before our press record about like how like we're both at the point now where we're kind of scaling back a little bit. But in that way, like it's going to allow us to grow better and have a more healthier business and relationship in life. And so we'll get into that a little bit more. But let's go back in time. Let's go back to 2019. I really want to know how the bottled Bronco all became what it is today. Oh, man. Yeah, it started, feels like a long time ago now. There's been a lot that happened in between now and then. I personally was in the trades. I'm a pipe fitter by trade and got married and started to planning to have a family and pipe fitting and having kids just isn't feasible together. So sitting on the couch, pretty damn bored. I got to the last page of the internet and I found uh, horse trailers that were converted into mobile bars. And I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever seen. So heavily pregnant, I decided to start converting a horse trailer into a mobile bar. And then once it was built, I figured out that I actually had to build a business to use it. So surprise. Yeah, looking back, there probably wasn't as much planning as there should have been going into this, but we fumbled around and faked it till we made it. Uh, The hardest part at the beginning was I will not, I'm just not okay with letting a client down. So spending, usually that comes into spending time or money. So when you're last minute like that for a wedding, there's not a bunch of time that you have. So it usually ends up in throwing out a bunch of money to make it work. So the first couple of years ended up at a bit of a loss because I had to pay a lot of money to cover up our fumbles. So the client had the best day ever. But uh, thankfully, we're over that hurdle and things are running pretty smoothly. Now I'm pretty proud of how far we've come. So there was a big learning curve lot of knowledge that we got now. I really appreciate you being just very transparent and that it wasn't this straight line to the top, right? Like there was like a lot of obstacles and, and challenges and anybody who is a entrepreneur or, or a solopreneur can relate to this, that 
there is a lot of struggle. There is a lot of challenges that come along with going into business for yourself. And especially when you're dealing with the public too. And then obviously you, you throw in a pandemic in the early years of your business that throws a whole new sets of challenges. So I'm curious to know how you were able to overcome that because I want to hear that redemption story. You know, you, you were talking about like things now are <laughs> definitely going smoother, which is great. And I, I love seeing that, but I'm curious to know how you were able to maneuver through that and what were your, maybe some of your takeaways from that time where you really had to like learn the hard way of how to run a business? At the end of the day, I think COVID actually helped me quite a bit. As most entrepreneurs, I'm pretty ADD and just want to do the creative part and build bigger, faster, more, take over the world, pinky in the brain style. So COVID really held me back in a positive way that I was forced to build the back end of the business instead of just run wild. Um, the first year that we had was pre-COVID. We didn't have a ton. I didn't know how to market. I didn't know how to build a web page. I didn't know how to reach our client base. I didn't even know who our client base was, to be honest. I was used to working with men in the trades. I didn't, I was terrified to talk to brides, even just talking to a woman in a highly emotional state of planning a wedding was just terrifying to me. So that was a huge learning curve year one. And then year two with COVID, really, we lucked out in the sense that our niche client base, people who want the horse trailer bar are usually quite Western conservative. Um, and that client base, pardon my language, but they just didn't really give a shit about COVID to be honest. So we didn't lose a huge amount of our bookings. We continued to grow consistently through COVID. There was a lot that we had to change with our service and just single-use cups, not reusing things, making sure we were wearing gloves and masks and wearing masks in 35-degree heat is obviously not great. So, yeah, there was just a lot of learning through that, but we didn't know any better. We didn't have anything else to really compare it with. So I guess it didn't feel didn't feel bad because yeah, we just didn't have anything to compare it to. And at the end of the day, it definitely did assist us in building a little bit slower so I could fix up the back end of the business to match with my little brain and how fast I wanted to grow things. Well, as someone who also has ADD and you know, learned the hard way through COVID that to get to where you want to be and to be able to serve more people doesn't necessarily mean you need to expand your business in in a sense of like having more teams or in your case more units. I learned the hard way that I I too didn't have a solid business plan with my other business that I'd launched uh, in the middle of COVID, and unfortunately I had to you know disband it uh, within a year. Still kept Wagon Tail Studios afloat and and was able to move all my clients over from that other brand to Wagon Tail Studios and just really just hone in on that customer experience and really just give them the best experience I, as I can because honestly, it's easier for you to 
maintain and retain those relationships that you already have then to go out and attract new clients, right? Like really like hone in on just like who you have to serve right now. And those are going to be your, your best marketing foot soldiers, I guess you could say, you know, afterwards, because they're going to be the ones that are going to <laughs> yeah. be talking to all their friends and family, right? And as we know in this industry, uh, referrals are the name of the game. You know, that's what we all strive to have is referrals. You know, it makes our jobs a, a lot easier. It doesn't mean like we become lazy, but it just, you build that rapport and that history. And I, I think it goes a long way. I really want to dive in on, okay, you were saying that in that first year, okay, you started with that first trailer, but then you expanded beyond that first trailer. What was your thought process when it came to like adding more units and, and what type of units were you also adding on at that time and, and why did you go that route? So when I started this, I was young and naive and I thought that my happiness and success was going to be just building bigger, better, more and more unique options for people to have. And I really thought that giving my best to the client just meant trying my best. And I've learned since then that just trying your best at the current moment isn't enough. You really need to prep and educate. And it takes a lot of time before you even get to that wedding to prep and make sure that you are offering the best service as possible. So I've since had to go and downsize to make sure that we have the education and that we have just the learnings and the systems and processes set up to give the best experience. So yeah, at the beginning, just a little bit naive because I thought that happiness and success in building a business was just pinky in the brain style, building more and taking over the world. I love those guys in the 90s. Was, speaking to my childhood there. Yeah, we just aged ourselves pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> so yeah, around COVID time, I was just really thrilled with the idea of having a bunch of different unique offerings. So we had horse trailers that worked as cocktail bars. I built and still have a 52 Chevy pickup truck. So an old vintage truck that serves kegs out of the box. I had a bicycle that served a keg and that we tried to do cocktails out of. I had the back quarter panel of trucks that we used as a cocktail bar. We had a Volkswagen van that we converted into a photo booth. But the trouble that I ran into this was that each one of those pieces had a very specific learning curve. Like it's not something that just anybody could step into and they're like, oh yeah, I ran a photo booth before I can do this because no, you had to know how to run a photo booth and the technical aspects of troubleshooting that. But you also know had to know how to load a Volkswagen van onto a flat deck, strap it down and then tow it around. So the skill set that was needed for these things, it wasn't something that I could just send a training manual to someone and they could read about. You can't just read about how to tow a trailer and magically know how to do it. So I was really struggling finding staff that was capable and could provide the best service. And then it just didn't fit with branding either. Like the bottled Bronco and you have a Volkswagen van photo booth. Like what does that have to do with bottles or Broncos? It just didn't make sense. So we really downsized that way. We got rid of the photo booth. It still hurts my heart a little bit because I think these things are absolutely awesome and I want it to be available to the community, but I wasn't providing 
that service at a level that I wanted to. So I wasn't proud of the outcome that I was providing each and every time. And that's become more and more uh, important to me that every event that we do has to be 110% or I, I just don't want to do it. Yeah, no, I can definitely relate to you on that where like I'm 100% uh, you know, passion driven. And if I'm not in it, if my heart's not in it, I'm out. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before that that's why I left my previous career in hospitality is because I loved it in the beginning. I was passionate about it. I loved working with people. But then over time, I started to really not only hate my career, but I hated myself. And I didn't like the person that I'd become. I didn't like, the, I became really a slave to my own business or to, to my work. And I'd lost relationships. Yeah, it wasn't fun. And like, I wasn't yeah. filling my cup on a daily basis. I was just filling someone else's cup. And I was like, no, no. I was like, things have to change. Yeah, I definitely had to do the same step back. And after the first two years, just reevaluate and figure out what my values were. Because it turned out that I was building this business based off of somebody else's values. And that value was of what success and happiness look like. And I feel like I got there. I was like, I hit the ceiling, not the ceiling that holds you in, but like I hit that bar that like this was the goal and we hit it. And I just wasn't happy or satisfied. I was like, I made it. Why isn't this enough? So I really had to evaluate what it is that I wanted. And that, yeah, that's just to give the best service and opportunity and experience to other people. So scaling back and readjusting and trying again. Yeah. I think like, what's that old like phrase is like addition uh, by subtraction is like a lot of times like you you can give more by subtracting things in your life, not necessarily like people or stuff. Although sometimes in some cases that works too. Uh, <laughs> yep. I, I can also talk on that, uh, but that's a whole different uh, podcast that uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Welcome to Wedding Industry Therapy. <laughs> yes, what's really on your mind, Kevin? But no, I, I really think that it's so common in our industry, as you mentioned before, a lot of us do have ADD and, and we're really focused on the creative side. Like we got into this because we wanted to be creative. We wanted to serve, but there, we didn't go to school for business. I didn't go to school for business. Yeah. And so a lot of time, a lot of it is like we've had to learn the hard way. We had to learn through a lot of failures along the way. And, but it's those failures, I believe, that are what catapults us to the next level. Because it really teaches us a lot about not just the business, but who we are and what we want out of life. Yeah, the business is just an extension of us. So it, it makes sense that as it grows, we have to grow as people. And it's like a, our children in a sick kind of way. Yeah, my films are my babies. Like that's my wedding films. When I send them off and they leave the nest, I was like, okay, go make a lot of people happy now. I was like, right but you're still nervous like oh my god are people gonna like it and i'm sure like for you when you have had all these like units on the go and you can't be everywhere at once like there is always that nervous energy that you're feeling it's like oh my goodness it's like i hope i'm doing the right thing and like to me like i, I still get nervous i think it's a good thing because you care it shows that yeah. you care 
about what you do. If if you're not nervous at all, and I think maybe your heart's not in the right place, perhaps. And maybe that's just me, but um, yeah, it's not because I'm not confident when I say I'm nervous. That's I don't correlate the two. It's just no, I you want to do a good job, but you want to. It's always about like what have you done lately, right? Like you're only as good as the last client or couple that you served. Yeah. There's so many variables in the industry too, that like you can never be 100% prepared for the things that are thrown at you. (laughs) What were some of the things in like the first two years, like pre COVID that really excited you though, that, I mean, we talked about the challenges, but I want to hear about the successes because there were a lot. And if there weren't, I mean, we wouldn't be still talking to this today about the Ballard Bronco. You and I would still be talking, but we'd be, you know, talking about, oh, remember the good old days uh, when we had our businesses. I'm curious to know, like, just some of the early successes that you had and what you believe made them successful, like those moments successful. I think I'm going to take this and derail it a little bit because my idea and when I'm like, yes, this was a success. Um, has less to do with specific events. Like when events go off and the client is happy, that's a success. But there's always room for improvement. So for me, success is improving. So even if an event goes off perfectly, there's still room for improvement. So success to me is really every time I learn a new skill set, I learn anything and can implement that into the business to make it better and more structured and just more knowledge to help either my staff or myself, or I really, really love and think one of the most important parts of a business is the client process. So to the knowledge that we can give them and the understanding and just the ease of the process from step one to their wedding day, that's the whole reason that they hire a professional is to make that process easier. If we're not making it easier, then they might as well do it themselves in my my professional opinion. Do you want to talk about the team that you surround yourself with? Because I know we don't we, we don't, don't do, do this, this alone. all on our own. <laughs> yeah, and I know you've had a strong support system since day one, and and some people have come and gone. But maybe you want to talk about I believe it's your cousin that uh, helped you. My cousin Janelle, she really helped me um, at the beginning here. Like I'd mentioned before, I was terrified of talking to women in general. If I'm allowed to. Uh, be that honest. Um, And she was in the events and hospitality industry. So we partnered up and I built the trailer and the business side of things. And she really took control of communicating with the client. And I absolutely needed that at the start. I just wasn't capable of communicating confidently or clearly with the client. So she was a huge, huge asset. Since then, she has gone her own ways. She's actually always been working with Remy's Catering based out of Red Deer. So that's a family business of hers. So she stepped up within that business and um, has since left the Bottle Bronco to go take on bigger, better things in her world. Since then, I've gone through a couple business partners that have all helped me in their own way, but it's a huge investment. And to step into somebody else's 
business, especially the one that's just starting, if you don't have your heart and soul into it, it can just be wildly draining. So it's really hard to maintain somebody at such a high level of a business, I guess, that really cares about it as much as you do. Currently now I have Jaxie and Jaxie's been with me. She started as a bartender with me and then she took a break and had a baby and she came back. Her skill set is wildly different from mine. She is extremely organized and detail-orientated. Nothing slips through the cracks with her. And she is on the finances like a hot dog. So that's those are all things that I really struggle with. That's awesome. So yeah, having her has been a lifesaver. We wouldn't... Truthfully, we we just wouldn't be in business if we didn't have her the like for those three years. So, and she's just given so much more than what she's gotten out of this business. That's honestly what really, really keeps me going is the partners and people who've invested time in this business. I feel like I need to make this succeed and then pay them back in kind for the time and effort that they've put into this. So if I just close the doors, I feel like I would just be spitting in their face. So it's, mm-hmm. it's got to happen. It's It's got to be a thing. Do you feel as though that you've learned a lot from Janelle and now Jaxie and, and even like other uh, team members you have? Do you feel like you've learned a lot about yourself and just like running a business through working with them and things that they've brought to the table. Obviously, everyone has different skill sets, as you just mentioned, and she brings things to the table that we can't be an expert in in everything, right? So you want to touch on that? If we're completely honest, my skill set that I brought into this is purely my belief that I can make crazy ideas happen. (laughs) So on the grand scheme of things, that doesn't bring a lot to the table. (laughs) I... I chase ideas. That's really the only skill set that I had coming into this. Everything else that has been built and knowledge that I've acquired has all come from other people. So just trusting in other people and reaching out and admitting what you don't know and wanting to learn. We've both worked with Laura Milroy Media. She was one of the first people that I ever reached out to. And I didn't even... She's great. You don't know what you don't know is a common thing. And that was very true. Yes. And she held my hand and the knowledge base that she gave me was just phenomenal. She is the reason that the business grew and took off and that we were able to find clients to even keep us in business. I think it's wildly important to reach out to other people and to learn different skill sets. Um, and it is starting a new business, you don't have a ton of money. So you have to learn how to do a lot of those things yourself. You could just can't hire it out. And even if you do hire it out, they just don't have the same heart and understanding of what your brand is. So I feel like the more you hire out versus learning yourself too, you kind of lose the brand's voice and authenticity. I feel like that word is used way too much. But when it comes to smaller businesses, being authentic and providing a consistent experience is really important. Otherwise, people get confused. And that client journey, again, if they're confused, what's the point of hiring us? That's what we're supposed to solve is any kind of confusion. Yeah. And uh, just to piggyback on what you were saying about Laura, I had her on the podcast. She was one of my first uh, guests I had. Uh, If you go back to episode four, I had her on. And 
I loved everything about that episode. So if you really want to learn more about branding yourself and and really you know putting yourself in the perfect position to to shine, you know, as a entrepreneur and a, as a solopreneur, I definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode and also reaching out to Laura. But also like talking on like you were mentioning about like how much like you care and just how like I think we've over time like we we talked about like how this is our baby right like no one's going to care about this as much as you do and sometimes it is tough to (laughs) see your your birds leave the nest and it's like okay you know like you really (laughs) hope that you did all the right things and sometimes like it it works out great and sometimes it doesn't and it's tough it was tough for me during the last couple of years when I had multiple teams out and a lot of them who I trusted and and some of it worked out and some of it didn't. And it was tough. It was really, really tough because it's my name that's out there. It's it's my reputation that's out there. And I gave our couples the confidence in knowing like, we got your back. And you know what? We made mistakes along the way. And it happens, right? But I think going back, I think, and we were talking about this before uh, we started the podcast is I'm in the middle of a rebrand and I've, I'm scaling back. So are you. And I think I'm trying to get back to the basics of like really just looking at the foundation. And I guess in some ways, like we are control freaks. Yeah. I still like outsource some of my work, but in the end, like my fingerprints are still on everything and it's, it's still keeping it close to my, to my chest. So uh, like I can keep that, that brand and that, and that consistency through and through over a long period of time. Right. But kind of rambling there. I apologize, but the biggest struggle that I've had with this is that I am a, I mean, I got into this because I'm a shit employee. I am a horrible employee. So when I worked for a company and they gave me, they're like, Hey, here's step one for through 10 of how you have to do this job. Sure. I would do that for maybe a week, two weeks, say a month. But as soon as I understood how the process was working, I would immediately start trying to think of ways to improve it, make it more efficient, make it better for me, for them, for the client. And just like you said, they own that business. So they have a big investment in that business and they don't want or are able to make changes at that time. So this person that's pushing for changes are not doing the appropriate step one through 10 and is just kind of running off doing their own thing that's a shit employee. So when I started my own business, it was really hard for me. A, I didn't understand that concept in the first place yet. And B, for me to make step one through 10 and give it to somebody else just felt so against everything. I felt like I was devaluing people when I did that. I felt like I was calling them stupid, like they didn't understand it and that I had to like baby them and control everything. And I really didn't understand that most people want and need that, that step one through 10. So I mm-hmm. was really just throwing people out there to the wolves and being like, what do you mean you don't know exactly what I want? Like, don't all of our brains work the same? So that was a huge, a huge learning curve for me. And I hated every second of building the systems and processes and giving people step one through 10 of exactly how to do things. But now that I have that, shit. <laughs> It just works so much, so much smoother. And there's just so many less questions and mistakes. 
I feel guilty saying that, but I truly felt at the time that instead of people trying to do what was best for the client or for the business, they always went what was best and easiest for themselves. And it always felt like a shortcut and good enough was good enough. And I just, that does not sit well with me. Good enough is not good enough. It, it needs to be good enough for the client and good enough for the venue you're working at and good enough for our business. It can't just be what's good enough for you is good enough for everybody. That's not. So yeah. There's no settling. Yeah. I rambled there, but yeah. No, that's good. Because this is a good, a good segue into what I want to talk about next. And that is the steps and the process that you have with your couples. So I really want to know, like, what is the first step, you know, a couple's um, have to go through when planning their their bar? Because they could go a bunch of different routes, I imagine. Yeah, I feel like we were talking more about, like, building businesses up to this point. And couples would be like, yeah, I don't give a shit. What about, what about the bartending? So I guess the very first thing when couples are like, hey, we're married. Now we're at the point in planning where we want to start looking at a bar. The first thing that couples need to do is realize that there are a hundred different options and that they have to build somewhat of an expectation and what they want before they can just go out asking other people to tell them that because we can't tell you what you can afford and what you want. And everybody should have that in the back of their head. Like deep down, they they know what they want. So knowing obviously where this is going to happen and the general setup of things. So like, are you going to be in the middle of a field with a bar or are you at a venue that already has a bar completely set up and in-house bartenders? What do you want that to look like? A, limits your options in some way. And then B, having a budget. Because even if, if right off the hop, you're like, I'm super excited, I'm going to get this venue. They don't realize that that immediately has limited their options because you have to work within that venue's parameters. So my biggest piece of advice, I guess, is to really step back and try to plan as much of it as possible for what you want and what your budget is before you get into it. And that'll help you ask the questions. So if you want, say you want tacos, you got your heart, that's the mountain you're going to die on. You want tacos for your wedding. If you go to a specific venue and they have in-house catering and that catering doesn't offer tacos, you've crushed that dream immediately. So first step first, decide what that final picture is that you want and make sure every venue, like vendor, sorry, that you hire fits that picture and allows you to operate how you want to operate. Step two, you absolutely have to have a budget. And that overall budget can get broken down into what the different venues, like what you're going to pay those different, I keep saying venue instead of vendors. You have to have a budget for the overall wedding as well as each vendor. And that doesn't mean that you can't go with higher end vendors. But when you present your vendor with that budget, they'll tell you what is possible within that budget and how to best utilize your money for what your end like vision is. So you need that end vision and you need to know how much money you have to make that happen. And that's when the vendors can then step in and help you get there. I'm glad that you mentioned that because if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm planning my wedding, I've never done this before. I don't know how much 
I should be spending. I don't know what my budget should be because I've never done this before. What would you recommend or, you know, is there a range as to what people should be spending when it comes to bartending in particular? Because again, that's a, it can be a very wide range, but is there like a base minimum? I don't know if you want to talk about the collections that you guys have, depending on the, the unit. I know it, it varies and obviously travel plays a part too, right? There's travel costs and corkage fees and all that. Yeah. So I try to keep the knowledge that I give to clients very broad. So I try to teach them even above and beyond and outside what we offer. So if you have a minimal, minimal budget, like really no budget at all, you can make that happen and you can have an open bar. You can have it on private property. You can have your friends bring in alcohol. There's there's options that you can do that. You can have bridal showers and instead of having a gift registry, have an alcohol registry where people are bringing in the alcohol. So you don't have to purchase that. You can have a self-serve bar. You can have all these things that cut that budget down, but then you have to bring it back to, is that what you want at the end of the day too? And those two things have to marry and match up. Our niche client typically wants the bar to be handled without them having to piecemeal all those things together. So our average cost for our services is around $2,200. So that includes the bar rental, the travel and getting the bar to you, the staffing, We, I'm going to get into autograt later, but it does include auto gratuity. It includes all of the mix and product that you need with the exception of alcohol. HELC requires that the host of the event holds that liquor license. There are a couple of like offsets to that. Some venues have a kitchen and if they have a kitchen in them, then they can hold the liquor license. But if a venue has that, they're going to have an in-house bar and they're not going to allow us to be there. So again, that goes back to what's your original view of what you want and make sure you know that before you get your venue. Because if that venue has an in-house bar, you're going to be paying even more because you're buying the alcohol by the glass from them versus wholesale from Costco. So you need, yeah, back to you. Shout out to Costco on those returns, right? (laughs) I could get to that too and how it's actually Costco isn't your best bet. I mean, it's great, especially for some things like wine, but Costco isn't your best bet for alcohol. It's a great option, but it's not the best option. So yeah, I'm rambling again. So $2,200 and it covers everything, even ice for what we offer, GST um, and auto gratuity. So to supply staff that is knowledgeable and good at what they do, we have to compete with bartending at a pub. And when they bartend at a pub, they're guaranteed a certain amount of tips. Now, if they go to a wedding that's an open bar, nobody brought cash to that bar. And at some events, they take home $30 in tips. I can't keep competent, good staff if they're getting $30 in tips. So unfortunately, we have to charge an auto gratuity, but that is included in that number. That being said, I realize that $2,200 is a lot of freaking money, especially when you have to pay for alcohol on top of that. So I have a lot of tips and tricks to save money and even make money off of your bar. So if you are open to these options, which again, it depends on your final view of the wedding, we can actually make you back 
that $2,200 as well as all the money that you invest in your alcohol. And we can actually make it so you profit off your bar. And I think that's a huge part when you're shopping for vendors is knowing if they're there to help you or if they're there just to do the bare minimum and do their job. Because those are two very, very different things. (laughs) Very much, right? I love how you approach this. And thank you so much for really just being transparent and and honest. That's what I want. And I I think our listeners will really appreciate that. I'm curious to know when it comes to going back to like the couples picking the liquor. (laughs) And I know you said like Costco isn't the the best bet. I'm sure people were like, Kevin, get us. Like, what is the best bet? Do you have like recommendations on where the couples should get their liquor from or what has been your best success rate when it comes to that? If you want to know that information, just go to www.thebottlebronco and inquire with our side. Just kidding. There you go. Um, <laughs> I love it. Liquor stores cannot compete with Costco pricing. Costco actually loses money on some of their product to get people in the door. So they have such a high sales volume there that they can do that and make a marginal amount on their apps like other stuff and still make a huge profit. Costco loses money on things like wine and bottles, smaller bottles. So two sixes, forties, that kind of stuff. They're losing money on that to get people in the door and then they profit off of their higher volume sales. So if you're getting wine at Costco, you're not going to get a better price anywhere else for wine. But when you look at things like say packs of beer, you get 48 beer from Costco. Costco does not return a pack that has been opened. So at your wedding, if people have drank, say they drank the whole first case. Okay, cool. Now we're on to the second case of beer. If they only drink 10 of those, keep in mind, you're going to have five different options of beer. So now you have five cases with 38 bottles left of each. You can't return any of that. And that works with 60s as well. So if you get a 60 of gin and they only drink two shots out of that, you can't return that and you're stuck with that bottle now. So if you don't consume gin yourself, you can't return any of that. So if you buy smaller bottles, even though it's more expensive, at the end of the day, once you return the unopened bottles, you're going to have spent less money on the alcohol that was consumed. That is if you can get a close enough price. So the trick to getting a good price on alcohol is going to smaller liquor stores that are privately owned. So either you need to go to your small local neighborhood liquor store and you might have to go to three or four, or you can go out of town a little bit to a small community and ask that liquor store if they are willing to do a discount on a high volume order. Most of them will say yes. So you can get, this is what you need to ask for, write this down, wholesale plus 10%. And that is the equivalent of what Costco sells alcohol for, is wholesale plus 10%. And if you ask a private liquor store for this, they will do that. You have to give them enough time. So you need to be there a month before your wedding to put this order in. So the liquor store will still make money, but because they're adding this to their order, they're going to make an additional $500 on your order, but you are getting the product at the same as Costco pricing, but you can return more volume. So that's where you're going to save all your money. I know that's kind of confusing. Feel free to send me a message, even if you're not 
booking our services and I can go over that again. But yeah, that is, that's how you're going to save the money when purchasing alcohol for your wedding. Oh my God. I feel like we can like just end the episode right there because like right there, that is worth the time that people are investing in listening to this podcast. That that was huge. That was such a great golden nugget of information. Thanks for sharing that. I really, really appreciate that. And if I was having another wedding, which I'm not, because I'm very happily married. I love you, babes. <laughs> Thanks, that's what I would do. But th- that's awesome. What is the process when someone does, in fact, hire you for their wedding? Like, how do you guide them along to the wedding day? Like, what are, are you having consultations? Like, are you meeting up? What type of questions are you asking them once you know that they've wanted to go with you? Where do we start? There's so many steps. So most of our clients, thank you, Lord, Laura Milroy Media, find us through Instagram or referrals. So once they find us on there, they follow us a little bit. I give them as much information as I can. And then they go to our website and inquire. We have an inquiry form where they give us their general idea of what they want for their wedding. And we give them an itemized quote of what that idea is going to cost them. So When you don't know what things cost, sometimes you assume that certain things don't cost that much, but then come out to be wildly expensive. So that's why we itemize everything is to really show you where your money's going. So if you're like, well, maybe I would like a champagne toast. Champagne toasts add two hours of additional service that we have to do. The bar has to be closed for a certain amount of time just to make sure that the champagne gets out there, that it's cold. Champagne service is actually significantly expensive. So a lot of people end up dropping that because it really wasn't that important to them in the first place. And that's why we have things itemized. So they see where their money is going. Um, I give them a couple days, just kind of marinate on that. And then I send out our budget help guide. And this is a multi-page guide. It talks about Costco and where to purchase your alcohol from. It talks about different tips and tricks on how you can make that end bill smaller. And if that's less hours, or if it's purchasing different kinds of alcohol, if it's having a bridal shower with an alcohol registry, or a bring your own booze, if that's legally allowed, which we also cover. And also how much you sell your alcohol for. If you want to have an open bar, $2 bar, $5 bar. And it gets a little bit into the education of that too. So a lot of the times for weddings, people are just like, I don't know what it's going to cost for alcohol. I'll just charge $2 and hope that covers it. So we go into every drink that is consumed costs you $2.50. But when you take into account all those cans that are left over and all those bottles that are left over that wasn't consumed, you still want to see what that's going to cost you. So we then round up and it will cost you an alcohol $3 per drink. So the notion that a Toonie bar is going to cover your alcohol, it doesn't anymore. You'd have to have a $3 bar to cover the cost of your alcohol now. So all this is in that little budget thing that we send out. Oh, I'm like, which way to go now? More on, <laughs> more on pricing or more on the, yeah. So we give out a ton of information on that budget form. So you know exactly how much alcohol is going to cost you. So you can just better budget and see what the end of the day price is going to be. 
I feel like it's a little less scary that way and a little less cross your fingers and hope for the best. After that, I answer any questions that they have. We do a little back and forth. If they do decide to book with us, um, I then send out our alcohol shopping list. So it tells them exactly how much of what kind of alcohol they need to purchase and gives them the exact, like it's a suggestion. They can obviously go off of this and purchase whatever they want, but it's a suggestion of exactly. So we would purchase five of this, six of that, seven of this. And then it also recommends for spiced rum, consider Captain Morgan's. And then for, you know what I'm saying? It tells you what brands to consider for each thing and what kinds of beer that will be uh, consumed the most. So after they get that shopping list, we do require a $500 deposit to book with us. And that holds the trailer that you want and the date, all the other details for how many guests that you have coming, the hours of service, all of that you're allowed to change as you plan out your wedding more. So you're not paying for services or product that you're not using. One month before your wedding, we ask for those final details. We change your proposal so it fits with what you're actually getting for services. And then we require payment uh, two weeks before the wedding for us to roll out. And at that point in the final details, it really goes through step-by-step what you want to happen for every minute of your wedding. So we know and can help the wedding planner and any other vendors get there because we do have to communicate together and work together at the same time. So it just really helps us know exactly what you want from us because it's not usually in the uh, all in the timeline. And after the event, we, we pull up on site the day of, prep everything. We use ice baths to keep our beer cold because it takes 15 minutes in an ice bath for a beer to be chilled. And if we use refrigerators, it takes two to three hours for the beer to be chilled. So we use ice baths. And then at the end of the night, we make sure not to open up ridiculous amounts of alcohol. So if there's only an hour left to the party or say half an hour left, we're not going to open a 60 of gin. We'll just say, unfortunately, that we are out of gin. So you're not left with wild amounts of barely drank alcohol. And then at the end of the night, we pack up. We're usually the last ones left on site and we go home that night. And that's it. No, that's amazing. Thanks for uh, walking me through all of that. That's great. I'm curious to know what's trending this season for uh, drinks. Uh, Do you have any signature drinks that you are really excited about that you've been uh, rolling out this year? I'm sure you, we aged ourselves earlier, so I'm sure you remember Smirnoff Ice. I so drink it. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not a thing anymore. (laughs) Nobody drinks that shit. Ciders are another thing that um, couples commonly ask about and they'll personally like ciders but given the option between beer and mixed cocktails they don't drink many much ciders like your guests won't drink much ciders so i highly recommend really limiting or just scrapping ciders altogether vizies are vizies are life right now everyone loves vizies that tv static shit <laughs> i clearly like my sugar as far as signature cocktails go People love their margaritas and they love their mojitos. Um, And we're starting to get into a little bit more fun stuff. My personal favorite is um, chocolate espresso martinis. When you think of a horse trailer bar, you're like, is that a thing? But yeah, we can absolutely do those. And it is fantastic. 
highly recommend. Yeah, definitely favorite too is any version of the margarita and an espresso martini. But again, I like my sugar, so. So do I. That's why I grew up on Smirnoff Ice. Like I, I was in full transparency. Like I've never been a beer drinker. I've never liked it. Um, that's just for me. I've tried all different types of beers. Never have worked. I've always been like a wine or, or a cooler person. But no, this has been a lot of fun. And now like I just know so much more about like when it comes to like hiring a bartender. Like there's just so many things to consider and it, it's not black and white. And it really depends on one, what, you see as as the overall vision for your wedding and the bald bronco may not be the best fit for you but i think if anything from what you know people can get out of this podcast is that i think it's asking the right questions and obviously like you come with such a, a wealth of knowledge now being in this industry for a number of years now. And I really thank you so much for just being so open and honest and, and sharing your struggles, but also like life is messy. Like we all know it. And no, thank you so much uh, for just being real. Well, thank you. It's a little nerve wracking, not going to lie, but uh, we're doing it. We're here. Happy to share. We're here. We're here. How can people find you? Personally, please don't. Yes, please. Uh, what's your address uh, so people can like come right to your door? No. <laughs> oh, God. Give me a little notice. I got a shower. Maybe brush this. Yeah. We are, we're really big on Instagram. Unfortunately, I have had to step back on that. That is one of the things that I've hired out now. I noticed that my voice on Instagram isn't what it used to be. And it hurts my heart a little bit, but I really have to invest my time and energy in other places of the business right now. My biggest want or thing to provide for the business is A, education. Um, so people know what they're doing, what they're getting and what to expect. But also we are there to provide an entertainment value. So we have games that we can play. We work with the MC to just get everybody going and having a really good time. That's what I really want to bring to the table. So I want that to be really clear. But Instagram is probably the easiest place to find us, the Bottled Bronco. If you Google us, anything else, there's nobody with a similar name. So if you find something that says the Bottled Bronco, that is us um, on our contact us page on our website is where you're going to find our contact form. And it doesn't matter where you find us, everything will lead you to that form. Um, and even if you just send us a Hail Mary email, we will also direct you to that form because that's the best way that we're going to get the information we need to give you the best education in return. So yeah, find us on the good old Instagram or just go straight to our website, the Ball of Bronco. I love it. Thanks again, uh, Danielle, for uh, coming on and and just being a champion for the industry, for your couples. I think uh, it says a lot about who you are. And uh, it's why I wanted you on the podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. Hope you have a great day, dear. You as well. Well, that's it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Alberta Wedding Podcast. Each week, I will pull back the veil and introduce you to the faces behind the brands that you love in Alberta. Your feedback matters. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review and let me know what you think of this episode. Until next week, stay well and be merry.